This episode is brought to you by PitchDMM, the football fan app that gives fans a voice and allows you to rate your team, the players, and pick your formation and your squad in real time, every game, and compete with your mates. Have fun whilst generating a voice that will be listened to. Your club, your voice, be heard. Get it now on Google Play and download it on the Apple App Store. You are listening to an official podcast from Kings of Europe, your football link to the European Super Leagues. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome back to the Kings of Europe. Today, we're not going to be talking about, of course, again, anything other than the FIFA World Cup that has been the number one attention drawer of the entire football world for the past two weeks plus, and we'll continue to do so until we are done on July 15th. Of course, there's uh, some transfer rumors that are going around right now that are that are quite big, and uh, we'll, we'll get to the, the, the biggest one of them all here on this program, but uh, obviously, the round of 16 happened uh, over the course of the past week, and the quarterfinals start today, today being Friday, July 6th. So we're going to have two matchups today and two tomorrow on Saturday. Uh, not the eight teams I don't think a lot of us expected to be there, but it, that keeps it interesting. This is a, uh, a very unpredictable tournament, and that's what makes it so great. Now, some people are saying it's the greatest World Cup ever. I highly disagree with that. I, I I don't think that we need to jump to conclusions just yet because at the end of the day, we could end up with uh, one of the two of the superpowers again in the final. And then it's just a standard World Cup because everyone said in 2002 how great of a World Cup that was. You had South Korea in the semifinals, Turkey in the semifinals. And what did we end up with? Germany and Brazil. Yeah. So uh, let's reserve the whole greatest World Cup ever arguments until uh, England beats France three to two in the final. And then we can talk about it being the greatest World Cup of all time. All right, so this time I'm going to welcome back a guest from last week. He's back on again this week because we just had so much damn fun that we had to do it all over again. Uh, many of you know him from the FC Schalke Nurfia podcast. He is my good friend, Jack Mangum. How you doing, Jack? Pretty, my man. Thank you for having me back on once again. How was your holiday, bud? Not too bad. Uh, really had an easy, easy day. Watched a bunch of movies and just took it easy at the house. It's, it was fantastic. How about yourself? You had a bunch of friends uh, come into town. I'm, I'm based kind of in the Chicago area, so we spent some time in the city and, uh, you know, just some good bro time. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the matches that we have coming up now. Absolutely. I heard they had uh, 1,500 additional police on the streets of Chicago for yesterday. That wouldn't surprise me at all. <laughs> oh, that's uh, so crazy. Every time, every time a firework goes off, you're like, was that a gunshot or was that a firework? It's, I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so what part of Chicago do you live in exactly? Uh, I, I'm actually in the burbs. I have a bunch of friends that live uh, in the city itself. So we were hanging out um, on the near west side, sort of like Little Italy okay. area. But yeah, I'm, I'm about half hour outside the city myself. Is uh, Aurora near you? or? Yeah, Aurora's a little bit west of where I am. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm kind of in that whole, yeah, just the direct western suburbs, that whole general area. I just always think of Aurora because one of my favorite movies from the 90s, Wayne's World, uh, the very first one is, you, you hear about Aurora, Illinois a lot. Uh, yep, so, there you go. Uh, Ed O'Neill's Donut Shop, I mean, classic, right? 
Yeah, I, I can probably get there in about 15 minutes or so. That is fantastic. Uh, you you got to get there in the Murph mobile, though. <laughs> it's call, call Wayne and Garth up to come pick you up, man. They'll be there. Uh, no, so that well, that's really cool, man. Glad you had some had some bro time and got to chill out, hang out, and uh, yeah, it's what it should be. It should be a good, easy summertime day and just uh, no worries and um, just re- relaxation. Maybe a couple of beers and some uh, some good good old classic food. That's what that's what the Fourth of July is all about. Just fan, 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 man, I cannot talk today. Jesus Christ, friends and family. <laughs> sorry. All right, well, uh, we do have uh, the uh, World Cup still going on, in case anyone hasn't noticed or you've been living under a rock. And, uh, Jack, we did our predictions last week for the round of 16. You and I hit on some, um, some pretty big ones. Uh, we did miss uh, a few with uh, our predictions with Alex last week. I want to start right off the bat with the one that you and I called right down the middle perfectly, uh, and Alex did miss, so you and I are shooting a perfect one-for-one here. France and Argentina. You and I both said that France would be way too much for Argentina to handle. I love that basically Argentina woke up France. They basically woke up a sleeping giant in the second half, and France just basically, as The Rock would say, lay at the smacketh down on that candy ass. Three <laughs> three goals in a matter of a, just a short number of minutes. The exact amount of minutes I don't have in front of me, but it was literally... A one to two deficit turned into a four two lead uh, in a bathroom break. So, what happened in this game, Jack? And where it was it just what we said all along is that Argentina just didn't have the right players selected, didn't have the right chemistry, relied too heavily on number ten, and did is this is this France team getting better as this tournament goes on? Well, I think we were waiting for this to some extent. We, we know that France has the firepower uh, to produce a performance like this, you know, putting in four goals. Uh, not that Argentina has been uh, the best team defensively, but uh, France really hadn't been firing on all cylinders yet. Uh, and this is kind of the first time I think we've really seen them show us what they're capable of in that sense. Kylian Mbappe, obviously, uh, with sort of a breakout performance. Uh, everyone should be well aware of who this young man is. Uh, if you weren't, you you are now, definitely. Uh, just unbelievable performance from him. And uh, from the Argentina side, yeah, I mean, it's the same things we've been talking about from the entire tournament. It's just questionable team selection. Um, I don't know how you start this game without – once again, where's Dybala? I, I, I mean, that to me is just inexplicable. He's he's one of the best young talents in the world. He gets, you know, very little playing time in this tournament. Um, Aguero, again, not really – involved in the action until later on um you just gotta question what argentina is doing yeah aguero so two games argentina can get eliminated in both of them one of those was the last match of the group stage obviously aguero did not start and of course as of the round of 16 it's lose and go home win and advance and of course in that game as well against france arguably your second best scoring threat does not start again. Actually, it's not arguable. That is a fact. He is the second best scoring threat for Argentina behind yeah. Messi. So I I just don't understand at all where the manager, and I say this that term loosely, I think that guy's a complete idiot, but any kid playing FIFA knows to start Aguero those last two matches, especially the round of 16. I just, for the life of me, cannot figure out what in the hell was going through his mind bringing him on in the 70th minute 
when the game's out of hand. Yeah, I mean, it makes you wonder how involved Messi is in these decisions. I know it's, that's, you know, it's mostly a joke when I say that, but you know, Argentina comes out in something that's kind of loosely a, a 4-3-3 with Messi at like a false, not, he's not 23 anymore. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, I mean, not that he's not capable of maybe playing that role, but like put somebody up top and let Messi, you know, do the other things. Like he can't be the focal point. Um, in my opinion, there's so much other talent on the squad that you need to find a way to get on the pitch. Um, it, particularly, you know, when, when Argentina is a squad that is incredibly top heavy right now, um, I think a lot of people would agree that the vast majority of their eye catching talent is on the offensive end of the ball. Um, and if you're not, bringing those players on the pitch like what are you even doing you just need you need to maximize what you have and i don't think they were doing that no definitely not now where does this leave messi's legacy uh far as far as you know they say the true greats can win a champions league win a domestic title and win a world cup uh many of those have done that uh bastian schweinsteiger for example philip lom and i'm not comparing them as far as skill to messi but you know I'm sorry, these, the, the, these, these players that have done, so to speak, the career trifecta, where you've won a domestic title, you've won a continental title, and then you've won the World Cup, the Franz Beckenbauers of the world, for example, uh, to me, Beckenbauer will always be more remembered for his accomplishments, both as an individual and as a team player, than Lionel Messi, because Messi has had ample opportunities to win a World Cup, came very close the last time, and did not play a particularly good game against the Germans in 2014. And he didn't score a goal against France. And, and you know, the stat should be known, Jack. The stat should be known. As Fox pointed out, Messi has now failed to score in Argentina's last eight knockout stage matches. That is anything but a clutch player. That, to me, is, is the definition of a choke artist when you consider how great he is perceived and how great people think he is. Look, Michael Jordan made the big shots. Uh, LeBron makes a lot of the big shots. This, this guy, uh, um, you know, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo that, that we talk about so often, he makes a lot of those big shots. Now, we'll talk about his failures in just a second, uh, but arguably Portugal does not have the supporting cast that Argentina does. This is, um, it's, I, I, I've just, Messi's legacy is just to me uh, not an A plus plus. It's it's a solid A, but I, there there is there that World Cup title to me is missing. And if you have a player who is perceived as the goat, they give him the goat icon so many times on Twitter or whatever. You can't be the goat when you fail to score in eight consecutive knockout stage matches, and you are your team's primary scorer. Now, if you're a uh, uh, if you play a number three or the number two, if you're a center back or a left or a left wing back, or uh, you know that's obviously understandable. But he's not. He's a false nine or number nine or best worst case scenario, he's a, a winger or number ten. He's he's the focal point, and if and if you're the focal point, you have to be able to come to come in the clutch. I mean, where do you see his legacy at this point? Because that, let's be honest, this is probably his last chance. Yeah, I think we all agree that this is probably Messi's last tournament. There's some people that are saying that maybe Ronaldo gets one more just because of the ridiculous lengths that he goes to to keep his body in excellent condition. Um, I mean, you're right. It's going to be a talking point at at the end of this guy's career. Uh, And the World Cup is a big deal. I'm not saying it shouldn't be a talking point. Uh, It is going to be, you know, the one major trophy that that has eluded him. Uh, Personally, for me, uh, 
I'm a little bit more charitable on this front. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, Messi. To me, Messi is the greatest player I've ever seen play in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And that's no disrespect for Ronaldo. I, I love watching Ronaldo play as well. Messi to me is just he he's he's the greatest thing I've seen. Um, international football is is something of a different beat. First of all, I think we don't we don't we would all agree that the quality of the football in the World Cup is not the same quality that we see on the club level. Uh, these teams do not have the same amount of time to train together to develop the chemistry uh, that these other you know teams on the club level have and have developed. And you know you talk about guys like Ronaldo and Messi who have been with the clubs they've been with for years and years and years, often time with a, a very similar supporting cast around them, uh, playing a similar brand of football. Um, you know I think that contributes a lot to their success on those levels as well. And it's it's hard to kind of just move away from that for a few weeks every four years um, and jump in and expect exactly the same results. I mean, soccer, after all, is it is a team sport, um, even more so than a game like basketball, right, where there's only five people on the court at a time. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, you know, the NBA, right, is a very star-driven league. And soccer, it's harder to have that kind of impact. And obviously, these, these guys are players that have done that um, to a, a larger degree than, than, than most that we've ever seen. Um, and Ronaldo is clutch. We've, we've seen that. It's, so it's, it's kind of hard to argue when we see, you know, the things that Ronaldo's done in recent seasons, uh, you know, in the champions league that, you know, it's, it's that, that, you know, that we can, we can let Messi off the hook for not doing that in the world cup. But to, for me, this Argentina team, it's just such a dumpster fire that it's, it's hard for me to say that like, you know, this is, is all Messi's fault and that. You know, Argentina not getting further than they did rests squarely on his shoulders. I think there's a lot of blame to go around. I thought he was disappointing in this tournament. I don't think he played to his potential and he deserves criticism for that. But I don't think he quite deserves criticism for, you know, never achieving this ultimate goal in his in his career. Um, It's I don't know. For for me, I'm willing to let him off the hook a little bit. But I understand um, if some people want to kind of withhold the GOAT title from him uh, because he's never done that. Uh, there's a certain cocaine-snorting fat Argentinian that sits in the, uh, behind the glass box that might still uh, carry that little goat under his shoulder uh, at certain points. Uh, he, you know, um, it, it's funny, they both being from the same country, but he's, um, that, that, what, what he did with this is the argument that we had on Twitter, and I'm not going to get too far into it, but it, it's, it's a wonderful debate to debate Diego versus uh, Lionel because it's, it's, it's two, different ty- two different types of, let me say, time frames in football because you had the early 90s, Serie A was dis- undisputed, the best league in the world, and he was with Napoli, which was not a Juventus, not an AC Milan, not an Inter. He won a Scudetto, he won a World Cup, Napoli has not won a major trophy since Maradona was there. So basically their entire history when it comes to that goes all the way back to him. I mean, they've won a Coppa Italia, but that's, uh, you know, let's, let's be honest. That's, that's not the same as winning a Scudetto. It's not the same as winning a a Europa league. Even it's not the same as winning a champions league. Certainly not. So uh, yeah, that, that debate will go on forever, I believe, but, but switching topics real quick, we'll, we'll talk about Ronaldo Uh, Jack. Uh, Portugal, 20 shots to Uruguay's five, five shots on target, Uruguay, three shots on target, two of those in the net, Cavani, seventh minute, 62nd minute, he lifts Uruguay to a 2-1 to win over Portugal, despite Portugal having 68% possession, 
what what went wrong here for Ronaldo and his boys? Because they are also going home. Uruguay's solid, man. They just to me, this is a team that uh, somewhat unexpectedly, when I watch them, they they almost seem like they have more chemistry with each other than any other team in the field to some extent. They just play really well as a unit. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're balanced. Um, unlike Argentina, what we we're just talking about is extremely top heavy. This is a this is a squad for me that has, um, you know, a lot of talent in a lot of positions all over the pitch, uh, and you have that that uh, you know that that front two uh, two headed monster of Suarez and and Cavani, and uh, you saw them both combine on that first goal, a little give and go across the field, kind of an unconventional give and go, if you will, but mm-hmm. um, you know the quality of both players evident on, on that play, and then. Uh, that second finish from Cavani, good lord! Yeah, yeah. That I mean, that was the thing. I mean, he's moving to his left, kicking it to his right with his right foot. You know, back across goal, curling effort. Um, I actually haven't heard what the injury update with him is. I hope he's okay for the next because I know he went off with 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 an injury. But um, uh, he is he is actually him. not expected to play, from what I understand. That's that's highly unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, at least just from the neutral perspective, because obviously he's been he's been brilliant to watch, particularly in this this past game. But um, yeah, it just you know the magic ran out. We saw Messi and Ronaldo both uh, eliminated on the same day. Within it was, it was the same day, wasn't it? Just within a couple hours of each other. Yes. Um, so I mean that's that's disappointing. Uh, you know, not going to be able to see those players continue in the tournament. But uh, do, Portugal, despite some of those numbers. Um, you know, stats can be misleading sometimes. I don't think there were that many great chances for them, despite the advantage in possession and, and, and shots. Um, you know, Uruguay was just clinical with the stuff they had. And I mean, if you're relying on Pepe to be the one knocking in goals for you, you probably have you're in some trouble. Absolutely correct, sir. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, moving on real quick, uh, recapping the other the other two kind of big surprises here. The Croatia Denmark match. Are you more surprised? that Denmark put up the effort they did, or are you more let down that Croatia really, really sort of laid an egg mm-hmm. and are lucky to be advancing on? What was the bigger I, shocker in this? Yeah, I'm more. I'm going to go with the Croatia aspect of this narrative. I'm more disappointed in them. Uh, I've given Denmark a lot of credit. I think I did at least last last week when I was on. Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is a pretty good Denmark side, um, but I thought despite that, that Croatia would be able to muster a little bit more than they did. I mean, it was a wild start to this one. Two matches. I mean, two wow, two matches. Two goals. I think within what the first five minutes or so. Yes. Um, and, and we then sat just on not, that forever. Yeah, and then just nothing for the next hour and a half practically, um, until we saw you know an excellent goalkeeping show from Casper uh, Schmeichel. Is Casper Schmeichel is a baller. He is a baller, man. I'm telling you what. Uh, that save in the 116 minute on Luka Modric, I mean, what a baller. He's just sitting there. He's he's dancing around like he's a kid on FIFA, like some eight-year-old kid on FIFA. <laughs> just basically moving you, back and forth. But, it, I mean, just he just, like, uh, you know, took Modric. I think Modric was, like, freaked out by him or something. Like, what, he's like, what the hell is this guy doing? He No, he was... He was an insane performance from him. Do you, do you think this is the summer that he ends up moving on to a bigger club? So I've heard a lot of uh, Liverpool supporters say, well, why, don't, why, why are you talking about Allison? Why don't you just sign Casper Schmeichel? Well, the reason is they said because they've seen Schmeichel at Leicester City for many years now. And that is typically 
you might get a performance like that out of Schmeichel one out of every five games, but that's not the Casper Schmeichel you get week in, week out. And that's, from my understanding, at least from a Premier League side, that is the reason why he is still at Leicester. That's, that's a little harsh for me. I, th- I think he's been pretty good. I, that, that, now, that's not me saying that. That's, that's yeah. the, the quote-unquote pundits. I think, I think personally, well, because a lot of people say, why isn't he playing at United? Well, because United have David De Gea, and, 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 and I'm sorry, uh, no offense to Casper Michael, but he's still not David De Gea, despite Spain's woes, which we'll get to in just one second. Um, he was awful in this tournament. Yes, yes, he was. Yes, he was. But but he was fantastic for United. He saved them a number of points this past season in the Premier League. So uh, as you said, you know, you got to kind of weigh some of the international level stuff with the club level stuff. Uh, you got to kind of grade it on the curve sometimes. But yeah. I think Schmeichel should get a look from a bigger club than Leicester. And I'm not talking about a club, say, like a United or Chelsea, but like someone like and, and this is just an example, people. Don't freak out. I understand that Dortmund already signed Marvin Hitz, but like a Borussia Dortmund, second second richest club in Germany, someone like that would sign Kasper Schmeichel. His, his, you know, his, his father, obviously, he has the pedigree. Still a very young kid, really, all things considered. I don't, you know, Dortmund's in the, in the, in the, in the uh, running for a goalie. They don't like Berkey. Marvin Hitz certainly isn't the answer. Well, Casper Schmeichel, you could probably get him a lot cheaper than you get someone else. Dortmund would be a great fit, I believe. Uh, yeah, I think I think Dortmund is is so great in the goalkeeper position. I think they should keep things just uh, the way. Yeah, it I'm is. sure you do. I'm sure uh, I, I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> but no, if 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 um you know a club like a Schalke, for example, if they didn't have Fairman, would be a great landing spot because I think Schalke has more prestige than Leicester. Despite Leicester winning the Premier League, we all know that's a one and done. It's not going to happen again anytime soon, if ever again, yeah. period. I, you know, Schalke is a second place team in the Bundesliga. They are up and coming. They have a new crop of players. Things are moving in Gelsenkirchen. So that would be another up. I feel like that would not be a lateral move for him. I think that would be a move up. So someone like that, someone like a, um, you know, a, 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 a Lyon or a Monaco or somebody like that. Uh, and I don't understand why other teams aren't looking at him. But from the Liverpool's perspective, as I heard on the uh, one of the podcasts that I listened to, that is precisely why Premier League teams will not look at him because of the week-in, week-out inconsistency, if you will, in league play. Okay, okay. Um, so do you have restored faith in Croatia, or are you on reserve right now waiting to see what they do? I'm still fairly high on them overall, just on the backs of what I had seen from them previously. Uh, but this was a concerning performance. They really didn't have much to offer uh, in this match. Um, and I don't know. I mean, you, you, you look forward. I know we're going to get into this, but you look forward uh, to their their next opponent. Um, I, I liked the way this draw was breaking for them initially. But the longer this tournament goes on, like Russia, they just they're not a bunch of slouches, man. They're playing a little bit, okay. so it, it'll it'll be interesting. Um, so <laughs> okay, so let's transition to Russia, yeah, because that's that's the next big surprise. So, are we more surprised that Putin, the president of Russia, who is the president of the country who's hosting the tournament, whose team likely would not have qualified had it been any other year when they weren't hosting? And whose team that most of us thought would not make it past the group stage, let alone the round of 16, are now soundly in the quarterfinals 
of the World Cup with a roster that most people can't pronounce their names, let alone know who these players are. Uh, is this is Russia a bigger surprise to be in the quarterfinals, or are we more shocked that Spain really laid an egg in this one? Because I thought Spain had every opportunity to win this, and they just didn't have that killer instinct. Once again, I'm going to go with Spain, like, like, much like I did with Croatia. Spain was terrible, man. They were awful in this game. Mm-hmm. They offered nothing. This was... This was like possession for the for the sake of possession. I mean, everyone thinks that if you have possession, you can play passes back and forth. And they had 79% of the possession in this game. 79%. This is an 80-20 possession match, right? They played over 1,000 passes, okay? They mm-hmm. had over 20 shots. Like, they dominated, like, every statistic in this match. And they did nothing with it. it it's, I mean, it, it's like they were trying to play you know, ticky tacko, but the, without the spatial awareness and the, in the positioning to, to pull it off. And all you get is just sort of aimless passing in the final third that leads to nothing. It was an extremely disappointing performance from Spain, which is a, you know, just at least from a talent perspective, they absolutely have the talent to win this whole tournament. And uh, like you said, they laid a, they laid an egg big time. So 79% possession in this and possession, of course, you know, that, that's certainly not everything. 23 shots, Nine on target for Spain. Russia had one shot on target the entire match. And they end up winning this thing on penalties. A a war of attrition, if you will. I still cannot believe... 65% pass accuracy for Russia. 65%. That is... I know. Awful. Spain... Can you take a guess? Take a guess at what Spain's pass accuracy percentage was. I know what it was. It was like around 90%. Yes, it was 90%. They played 1,000 passes, and they had about 90% accuracy. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And it, I mean, once again, it was pointless. It was all like horizontal, it, it lateral pass. I mean, it was – you're sitting there, and you're like, somebody do something. You just want to poke them with a stick through the TV screen. Like, you know, make a move. Have some creativity. Have some ideas. It was, it was terrible. And, uh, you know, deservedly so, they are out of this tournament. Yeah, so – what was your thoughts on on the penalty shootout? Again, there, you would have to think that Spain not only have the advantage when it comes to experience and high-pressure situations, they've obviously won a World Cup, they've been European champions in the last six years, 2012, yeah, actually they won two, I think they won 2008 and 2012. So they, they won three major tournaments in a row, and some of the players off of those teams are still playing to this day. I just could not believe that they didn't have the composure to knock off Russia, who, you know, the, if you look at the, the transfer market values of player to player, position for position, it's not even close. Like Spain should have. And then you, on top of that, you have what many consider to be the world's greatest yeah. goalkeeper. It, it, let's talk about David DeHaia real quick. I mean, he, he I, didn't do anything in that shootout, really, did he? How about for the tournament? Yeah, I mean, he made a couple big mistakes. Yeah, he was he was off form. I don't know what was going on. I just, uh, you know, uh, the, the one thing I will say about the shootout though is, and I know that when you get to that point, you would definitely favor Spain to go through, even though you, I mean, you did from the beginning and it didn't work out that way. But um, the counterpoint to sort of traditional wisdom when it comes to the better team winning in a shootout is that, especially in a game where uh, the result of this one was such a sort of a foregone conclusion in their favor. 
in my opinion, so much of the pressure has to be on Spain in that situation rather than Russia. Like Russia's like the home team, as you said, they probably wouldn't have qualified um, without you know their host status. They don't expect to go in there, um, or they weren't expected to go in there and, and beat Spain, and they somehow get it down to you know the crapshoot that is penalties. For me, that like somewhat, I think the majority of the pressure is on Spain at that point, and you know even the best players can can crumble with a lot, you know. They lose composure, man. I certainly wouldn't want to be in that situation uh, in a World Cup having to take penalties. I don't have, you know, the constant. It's remarkable that anybody does. Yeah, it's amazing to me how much my heart beats, even for teams that I'm not necessarily a fan of. It's just exactly. Such, yeah, it's, you're, sitting, you're sitting there from an in the, you know, neutral perspective watching a game between two teams you really don't care who wins and you're like physically ill yes like watching this thing take place it's incredible yes it's it is it it really i mean if it could be like honduras versus uh, ukraine and in a penalty shootout now it'd still be like oh my god this is this is crazy this is and then like you split second decide the whole game you're like I don't know who I want to win. And then in the penalty shootout, okay, I want them to win. I want them to win. I'm now so, I like, for some reason, you, you just, so you, invested in you're it, so yeah. invested in it. Yeah. So uh, quickly moving on, Brazil, standard business against Mexico. No shock there. I think we all knew that. Uh, Sweden over Switzerland. You and I did both say Switzerland would advance. So Alex got that one right. He said Sweden would go through. Of course, Switzerland got the send off. They got a red card. They won. Just not a good game for them overall. Belgium versus Japan. Belgium got the, the huge scare, but then showed that they are made of, of pretty stern stuff, scoring three goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Vertonen, Fellani, and Chadli. So Vertonen and Fellani got the two, the the the, the uh, one to two, and the equalizer within five minutes of each other. And then you know what great teams are made of. Ninety fourth minute, uh, Chadli scores the go ahead goal and puts Belgium through to the quarterfinals. And I predicted this. In our, in our World Cup, if you will, our season preview of the tournament, I said Belgium would, would face Brazil, and I said Belgium would knock out Brazil. Uh, so so on this, my bracket is not busted hey, in this aspect. I, I am right there with you. I have, I have Belgium uh, reaching this stage and also beating Brazil Yes. In my, in my bracket. I also have England at this stage, too. I, I did uh, not, but let's talk about them real quick. So uh, that's the last uh, match we have to recap. Really go into of the round of. Can 16. I just say one thing about Belgium real quick? Yeah, yeah. The one thing I want to just talk about is I am so glad that that Lukaku. Um, I mean, he didn't score it. I keep giving him credit for the goal, even though he didn't score it. The way that Belgium won that game, that play, I am so glad that that happened on that big of a stage. And here's why: so often when we're talking about players like Lukaku, the lazy narrative is like, "Oh, he's big, he's strong, he's fast." Just because he's this big black guy mm-hmm. on that play, you saw like the entire player as well, which is something that like I think you know from like once again from an analytical standpoint, people are sometimes lazy and they just describe players that look like him in a, in a kind of a similar way. Lukaku on that play, his off the ball movement is incredible. He he makes that diagonal run to the center of the pitch, he drags the defender away, you know, creating space on the right side for his teammate, and then you know the dummy. The wherewithal to do that and that's I mean it's incredible. So I, I'm just glad that like that particular play got that much attention, um, and we're giving credit to to him for you know some other qualities that he possesses outside of just being this big dude. Absolutely, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, we'll talk about Belgium in just a second again because uh, there is a lot to say about them, especially probably the biggest match of 
I don't want to say in their nation's history. I don't have Belgium's football history as a composite in front of me. But I know in my lifetime, this is and your lifetime, this is probably the biggest game in Belgium's history coming up. I think so. Yeah, uh, I think so. On, on, on tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So uh, England and Colombia. England and Colombia basically tried their best to put me to sleep in the first half. Uh, they they did not do so successfully. I was at work, so it would have been really bad had I been caught sleeping. But the excitement picked up in the second half. Harry Kane basically gets tackled like he's Ladanian Tomlinson trying to cross the goal line in the box. Unbelievably deserved penalty. I mean, Colombia just, I don't know what they were thinking. It was very, you know, very reminiscent, actually, of the Tunisia-England match when Harry Kane got Goldberg speared in the penalty box, and there was no no red card, no yellow card, not even a whistle. They just let play continue. Uh, this time, not so much. Colombia did get nailed for that, and and rightfully so. Harry Kane does what Harry Kane does. He drills the penalty back of the net, no problems, 1-0 England. And in typical England fashion, they give up the equalizer with literally seconds left on the clock. I mean, literally seconds. They had 120 seconds to run down, and they couldn't do it. So Colombia ties it up. At that point, I'm thinking all the momentum's shifted the other way. And England are probably going to, you know, normally teams just typically, they, 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 they play for penalty shootouts. In my estimation, I thought, well, England's probably going to find a way to lose this in extra time. That, that's, that's, that's what's so bad about this is that they don't deserve to lose, but they probably yeah. are. And then they, they finally... And it's it's so it's so appropriate that it did go to penalties because England had to have in the back of their minds all the misery of all these penalty shootouts that they have yep. lost after being the better side for 90 minutes and then an additional 30 minutes. And then they come down to basically a, a, a poker match, a game of luck, if you will. There's, there's a lot of luck involved. Hey, there's some skill, but let, let's be honest about things here. Uh, read the book Soccernomics. Uh, a lot of luck is involved, a lot of guesswork involved in penalty shootouts, especially from the keeper position. And England has been so unfortunate this 21st century so many times. And finally, 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 just like I said, it's almost, it's almost better that it happened this way because they finally get a penalty shootout victory, Jack. And I don't know about you, but like as soon as that thing was over, I'm like, I want England to win this whole tournament. I mean, first things first, football's coming home. Ah, um, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. No, I like uh, that. I like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you talk about the, the weight of the history with this England team when it comes to penalty shootouts in these major tournaments uh, and how much that's weighing on the minds of not only the fan base, but you would have to imagine the players. And like, like you said, I think England was the better team in this match, uh, trying to fight through a very dirty and unsportsmanlike Columbia, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, they were um, fouling all over the place. Yeah, and, you know, trying to mess up the penalty area before that penalty was taken, you know, kicking the dirt, making the playing surface uneven, you know, all kinds of stupid stuff anyway. Um, yeah, and he said, you know, last second, uh, Yuri Mina coming in with that with that goal, and when that happens, I think you're absolutely right. You're like, you know, here we go again, right? This is how it's going to go for England. Like, they, they should have killed this game off and, and they didn't and now they're you know it's going all the way to penalties and we know what happens when England takes penalties but uh props to these guys for you know shaking off that ghost because 
I mean, they, they went down in this penalty shootout, first of all. Your your boy, Hendo, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, missing that penalty. Um, and at that point, you're like, you know, it's it's definitely over. And, you know, they, they, they got lucky, I think, one of the Colombian penalties hit hit the crossbar i think and then yes and then and you're Pickford, it, yeah the big left hand um incredible save from him and you know the tottenham players just nailing these penalties right i think trippier had one harry kane had oh, one. oh trippier and, trippier's was beautiful his yeah. his was the thing it, uh, i think it was the uh, upper left 90 just a uh, uh, gorgeous savage gorgeous. savage penalty savage, savage penalty yes. so so happy for England. Um, I'm happy for Hendo because Hendo would have eaten that. He would have been the guy that Definitely. everybody shit on because, l- l- let me tell you, a lot of LFC fans can't stand Henderson. He's the yep. captain of the He's team. controversial. It's unbelievable. I- I've never seen so much disrespect for well, actually Marcel Schmelzer, but he he's another story. He actually Marcel Schmelzer does actually suck. So let's you know let's get that out there. <laughs> uh, Hendo does not suck, and for some people to just dog him like they do is just it beyond me. Hey, for people, seriously, Jordan Henderson's a good football player. A- a- absolutely. If you don't think so, you don't know too much about football. He's not. He's not Steven Gerrard, but like people want him to be. It's not a fair comparison. Steven Gerrard's a damn icon, okay? But Jordan Henderson is a solid, good football player. People act like he's some, you know, uh, uh, you know, three-legged dwarf out there who can't, you know, who can't kick a ball more than five meters accurately. It's, it's, it's just ridiculous. Um, but he would have most certainly gotten the criticism for the loss because he was the guy, oh, Liverpool's captain, couldn't make a penalty. Uh, you know what, though? When he's asked to do stuff like that, he steps up and he does it. This guy, he's fearless. He, he, you know, he would have uh, you know, taken a second shot if he'd have been allowed to. It, it, that's just the kind of guy he is. I'm glad that things turned out the way it did almost more so to, I don't want to say protect him, but to kind of save face for him because that guy gets so much unjustifiable hate that that would have just been kind of like the cherry on top of the Sunday. Yeah, I'm not even deep into LFC Twitter or anything. And yeah. even somebody like me is well aware of how controversial he is among Liverpool supporters. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. I think if he had missed that and England had lost, he would have been uh, getting, you know, the bulk of the blame. And yeah. I, I, certainly from Liverpool fans point to that thing. I see there you go. That's, you know, he's he's not he's not quite that caliber. So definitely happy for him that he's not going to have that weighing on him going forward. That's the kind of thing that can I mean, you've heard about you've heard Gareth Southgate talk about it, right? Um, How, how long that's weighed on him and, you know, the, the toll that that thing kind of takes missing a penalty at that stage. Um. So yeah, I 100% agree. Very happy for Henderson. And a uh, quick shout out to, to Davinson Sanchez, who I thought was brilliant um, in this tournament, uh, and particularly in this game. I want to give him some some credit, uh, even though Colombia is going home. He was he was uh, he was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's move on now. We've got the quarterfinals. It starts. The fun starts tomorrow. Jack, are you going to be watching at work? Um, so here's the thing. Uh, I actually burned some vacation days this week, so nice. I was off from work today. I'm going to be off tomorrow. I plan on uh, watching the first game. Uh, unfortunately, well, somewhat unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier, I have a bunch of friends in town. We are going uh, to be doing the classic Chicago experience that is uh, Friday afternoon Wrigley Field in the bleachers Nice for the Cubs game. But unfortunately, that game is going to be taking place during the Belgium Brazil game. Oh, which is brutal. Uh, I have tried to uh, convince my friends to do an outing to a soccer bar instead. Uh, I didn't get 
much ground uh, uh, on that, yeah. unfortunately. So <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be watching this game anyway on replay. Uh, probably, even though it's going to be spoiled for me, I, I find it hard to imagine I'm going to be able to uh, somehow navigate the afternoon without hearing what the scoreline uh, of that one was. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to these for sure. It's just, uh, The tournament's heating up. We're coming down to the wire here, and we got some great contests to look forward to. Well, first off, you need to turn off your notifications. <laughs> and I will I will make sure that I do not text you. I will absolutely make sure I do not text you. But turn off your notifications. But before we get to Belgium and Brazil, let's talk about the breakfast fixture, which is going to be Uruguay versus France. Now, this is interesting because this is I feel like this is going to be a very similar game to what we saw between Uruguay, Uruguay and Portugal. I think France will have the majority possession. I think Uruguay is going to absorb the pressure. I think that they can absorb the pressure. Their defense is somewhat uh, uh, outer-worldly. And I think that it's going to be a damn shame should Cavani not be able to make it, which at this time he is being said, uh, it's being reported that he will not play tomorrow. And, you know, that does kind of cripple the horse that is Uruguay with just uh, Luis Suarez to, to focus on mainly in attack. If Cavani had played, I still think I'd be picking France to go forward. I had them originally uh, going to the final before this whole thing started. I cannot back out of that now. I had Uruguay and France at this stage in my initial mm -hmm. projection. Same here. Yeah. Same here on both counts. Yeah. And I think France win this one narrowly. I think it's a 2-1 win for France. I think Mbappe is a load to handle. I think sometimes, as he proved against Ur uh, Argentina, which is uncanny, he is, you just have to foul him. Sometimes you actually have to intentionally foul him because he's just that fast, that skilled on the ball, that if you don't, it's a one-on-one -on -one versus the keeper. He's just insane how, how good this kid is, how fast this kid is at this age. Do we have to watch this in their 10, 12 years, really? <laughs> have to. We get to. Yeah. Well, if you're, hey, if you're like watching him like I did with Dortmund in the Champions League year before last, you don't want to watch that. Trust me. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, but anyways, yeah, it's it's going to be a pleasure to see this kid because he's really just getting started. And so, what are you? What what's your? Those are my thoughts on the game. What do you have yeah. in your mind as you see? You just told me that we agree that France is going to advance. So, how do you see that unfolding? Yeah. So, I mean, for first of all, the Cavani thing is is, is big. Um, if if James Rodriguez would have been available in the in the England match, that might have changed things. Mm -hmm. You know, if Cavani is available, that might likewise change things for Uruguay. Uh, he's, he's so dangerous up top. But like you, I had France in the final. I had France and uh, Uruguay at this stage meeting, and I can't really back out of that now. So I am going to, you know, go ahead and pick France. But I, I wouldn't be surprised. Uruguay, like I said before, they've really impressed me. I think Uruguay... Um, they just they just look like a squad, actually. And once again, this is me just kind of shitting on international football to some extent. But, you know, so many of these games, they're just sort of like it's the quality of football is, is lacking a little bit. And um, I'm not saying that Uruguay has been playing like brilliant stuff. I mean, we talked about the stats from that last match for them, you know, sitting back mostly and, and really just kind of popping up on a couple of occasions and, uh, you know, grabbing the goals when they need to. But they, they just look convincing to me for some reason. And with France, finally, they you know, Argentina awoke the sleeping dragon. Right. Yep. Um, they finally put on an offensive display uh, that we know that they're capable of, and maybe they will keep that momentum going. And this is going to be them, you know, they're finally hitting, you know, fourth gear at the right moment. Uh, but I think it could be tough for them. I really, this result is not going to surprise me either way, honestly. Um, I think that 
the question for me is whether or not Uruguay is going to have enough firepower, honestly. I don't know if Luis Suarez can, can bring this one home all on his own. And uh, depending on how much possession they have, if they're going to be able to withstand the French onslaught you know, for all 90 minutes, that's a lot to ask. In your dragon analogy, I'm not sure that Argentina woke up I'm not sure that Argentina woke up the dragon. I think that they woke up all three of Daenerys Targaryen's dragons, and she <laughs> and she sicked all three of them on 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 Argentina and Lionel Messi, and and literally scorched some earth there. I mean, I, that, that that was a legitimate. It's almost like a a, a prize fighter that's sitting there absorbing the pressure, and, and, and then all of a sudden, on, on, like on clockwork. It's it's like I'm going to town. I'm going to town. Now I'm just going to whoop your ass. And they they beat him down. I mean, literally. So France proved that basically with you know they can flip the switch whenever they feel like it. They're they're that skilled. They're that good. And no lead is safe. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. And I, I think that you know we've already agreed on this that they're if we look at the teams that are left. Are they perhaps the deepest? I think they could be. I think they are. I just, I mean, maybe them or Brazil, right? Uh, I just, I think they're, I think they're deeper than Brazil. Mbappe is not going to be running at Mascherano in this game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, I think, I think Uruguay is going to be a little bit better than that. So, uh, as good as they were in that game, you know, we've talked at length about how sketchy that Argentina side was. So, uh, I don't know fully what to expect, but uh, you know. it was fun to watch. I'll tell you that it was brilliant to watch. And I wouldn't be disappointed if, if France kept uh, putting out those type of offensive performances. Well, so the key to the match you think will be what, because I look at this Cavani, if he doesn't play is a massive loss. Uh, Suarez by himself is a great player, but I think that you need that two headed, that, that, that two headed monster to me, it's, if he's missing, that's that's a key to the game, but also the unbelievable talent and on-ball skill and seemingly coming together of the French team. It looks like the chemistry is getting a little bit better. It looks like they're starting to gel. Looks like It looks like a lot of players now are making cuts and runs when they should make cuts and runs. It doesn't look as, as uh, static. It looks a lot more dynamic. France, to me... Pogba, uh, Mbappe, uh, Giroud. Giroud had uh, what, what was the, he either had uh, a shot that was uh, shot that was almost on 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 goal, but also he laid one off for the assist. Yes, that is just beautiful. Uh, uh, to Gorgeous see. ball from him. Yeah, yeah. So he's Giroud is starting to, to to find his form, you know, and obviously I think what'll be his last World Cup of his career because uh, he's thirty one, I believe. So I just look at it as this. Uh, I look at it like this, Jack. I think that that at the end of the day, France just has too much quality at every position, and they're a they're a team whose quality is starting to really shine through in the later stages of this tournament when it counts the most. I think Uruguay just needs to come out and punch France in the mouth early. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't want them to develop any sort of rhythm. I think they need to muck it up a little bit in the midfield. Um, but I, I think I think Uruguay needs to come out and be a little not not leave yourself exposed to the counter, but try to make a statement early in this match and, and throw France off their game. I'm not convinced that France is a um, mentally strong enough side to kind of maintain some of the chemistry that they've been building if things start going south for them. Um, it, it's easy to to look like a dominant side and be confident when you're you know have Kylian Mbappe running against Mascherano and you know just putting in easy goals and you know running up the score a little bit, but uh, 
yeah, I don't know. I, I think Uruguay just needs to try to disrupt the flow, and if they can do that, they'll, they'll have a shot. Um, you know, the longer they hang around in that match, the better the chances I think they'll have. Because I, once again, I didn't, I don't expect them to, uh, to really try to make this a high-scoring game. So I think it would benefit them to, you know, have this thing get get something early for them, or you know, lock this thing down. If France scores a couple goals in the first half, I think this thing's probably over. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, moving on, this is the the one where you need to turn off your text alerts and all that good stuff. Belgium, Brazil, 2 p.m. tomorrow, Eastern Standard Time. This one is by far and above the most heavyweight match of the quarterfinals. This, unfortunately, the tournament ends for one of these two. I don't want to say Goliaths because Belgium still has a little bit to prove. They have to get to at least a semifinal before we can call them a Goliath. They, they, they have a, a Goliath roster on paper. Uh, it's just a who's who of football. As far as club level goes, I mean, Lukaku, De Bruyne, Vertonen, uh, just name after name after name, Eden Hazard, they, 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 uh, Dries Mertens. They have everything that you need to have to win a world championship. Uh, Except but, maybe a coach that knows what he's doing. But, yeah, you know. yeah that, that, that's, that's true. That's true. But, you know, a lot of – let me ask you this about that. In – in, because this is so different, international football, and we, and we touched on this a couple of times tonight, and we really haven't touched on it in any other the, the other podcast before this, so it's kind of funny it's coming out tonight because it really is something that is, is, is true to the sport. International football is so much different than club football because these club football players, I was actually explaining this to my wife uh, last week, she's like, you know, uh, things just look more fluid when, you know, like, you know uh, Dortmund's playing or Barcelona's playing or Liverpool's playing. It's like, yeah, these guys play 38 match days in the season together. Then they play how many cup games and they play how many Champions League games. They, yeah. they, they basically live with each other. Uh, these other guys, international, they come together in May for whatever uh, friendlies that you have before the World Cup, which are basically throwaways. And then you have a little bit of training camp and then you go right into the tournament. This Everything is, and, and, and in this tournament, the stakes are so high that nobody, a lot of teams just don't want to be the first to concede. So they play it safe. They play very conservative football. There's not a lot of attacking going on unless you're, you know, Spain or someone of that stature. And it's just, uh, do you think a lot of times that maybe, especially uh, as it pertains to like, you know, Argentina, they probably got to the round of 16 in spite of their coach. Is, is Belgium really handicapped because of their, their their coach, or is it the fact that, look, you know, De Bruyne is going to be excellent individually. Lukaku is going to be excellent individually. Dries Mertens, Eden Hazard, they're going to they're gonna get theirs. Fulani, he's going to be brilliant individually. Is At this stage, with that much talent, is it really going to come down to coaching, or is it just basically individual movement and creativity on the ball that's going to create these chances? I don't know. I mean, here's the thing thing first of all i like roberto martinez he seems like a nice enough guy i'm not trying to hate on him too hard but you're watching that belgium japan match and you're sitting there later in the game and they're just getting killed on like their wing backs are pushing way too far up the pitch kevin de bruyne is playing this like deep midfield position somewhat inexplicably mm-hmm. um and you know you're sitting there watching this game and you're like all right take off a center back switch to a back four have the wing back sit in bring on dembele Put him in the midfield and lock Kevin appointed to get up the field and try to create some stuff because he is that kind of offensive talent. And it's not that hard of a decision to make. And I think a lot of people, I saw a lot of people agreeing with me on that on Twitter, just like, you know, armchair managing right from from the seats. But like the obvious changes that could be made in that game to try to improve things. Um, ultimately, his suggestion is just bring on Fellaini and put him in striker and see what happens, um, which is, you know, sort of like the Jose Mourinho plan B. Right. 
just bring on <laughs> Fellaini and yeah, have yeah. Him get into the box and try to win a header. It's like not the most you know creative managerial tactic. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, this Belgium team has has so much talent, but that's been the case for a while. And I, I think they, you know, as you get deeper into this tournament, could their talent see them through? It absolutely could. And I think, like we said earlier, both you and I have have picked Belgium to to advance. But for me, that's just sort of more kind of general fandom than any sort of actual belief they're going to do it. I mean, Brazil is Brazil, and they're always around at this stage in the tournament, and they're always around at the stage of the tournament for a reason because they know what the hell they're doing. And you get the sense sometimes watching this Belgium team, um, you know, as impressive as the resiliency and the character that they showed, you know, going down two goals and coming back and winning that was, and it was very impressive, but. You get the the sense you're watching this Belgium team. They don't know what the hell they're doing. You know, a lot of a lot Sometimes. of a lot of. And, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say a lot. A lot of times, international managers never make it at the club level. There's been so many international managers that just really did not uh, do well uh, when they went to the club. And one of the ones that stands out to me is Bertie Folks, who was the manager for Germany after the World Cup win in 1990. He took over and. He's best known, I guess, they won the 1996 European Championship. But on that team, you had Matthias Sama, who's one of the most intelligent football players of all time. Uh, played, obviously, for Borussia Dortmund. Uh, that's, and there's no favoritism there. He is the last German player to win the Ballon d'Or. Uh, look it up. He's, he, was, he was Hall of Fame, icon, whatever you want to call him. Uh, Matthias Sama was, was a baller. And Lothar Matthäus, Jürgen Klinsmann. This was Germany's best of the best. Berti folks amongst most Germans, was considered a moron. He was a complete bubbling idiot. And in spite of him, Germany won the 1996 European Championship. So, you know, uh, the same championship, mind you, that they lost in 1992 to Denmark, but they, they came back and redeemed themselves uh, against the Czech Republic in 1996. I, I really, I don't think managers matter as much on the international level as they do at the club level. I think at the club level... It's, it, you know, if you're, if you're surrounded by that much talent, you know, De Bruyne should understand if he's playing, as, what did you say? He was playing a deep number six at some point? Yeah, I mean, he was, there's times where, you know, the ball gets turned over in, in and around Belgium's box, right? And, you know, Courtois is, is like rolling the ball out to De Bruyne. He's like the first person picking it up practically. He was, he was so far deep, and that's not normally where he plays. Yeah. And that's not normally where he's most effective. But I also don't think Roberto's telling De Bruyne to go back that far. I think De Bruyne is just back that far because he's back that far. I, I, I just can't I, – I, 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 I put it a little bit more on the player to have a little bit more damn sense to understand, hey, you're a number 10. You're an attacking number 10. Why in the hell are you the first person to receive the ball from Courtois? That, that is uh, – something ain't right here. That has nothing to do with managerial tactics. That has – I mean, the, the, the player – has to at least I, if he, if it is then Roberto's an idiot. I mean, if he's telling De Bruyne, if he literally is telling De Bruyne to back up that far, then then he doesn't even know his own players. I'm I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt in this case, and and say that De Bruyne is just just out of position. Yeah, all I'm saying is, to me, there were a lot of things, and I am not the most well versed in 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 tactics and in strategy, whatever you want to say when mm -hmm. it comes to soccer. There's a lot that I need to learn in that respect. And a lot that I can improve on, you know, when analyzing a game. But even to somebody like me, watching that game, there were just some glaring things going on that looked like kind of clear and obvious fixes that weren't being done. And, and if Japan 
is exposing you to that regard. No disrespect to them. They had a good tournament. But if Japan is doing that to you, what is Brazil going to do to you? I mean, come on. Like, I mean, Japan was killing them on the counter. They were eating them alive. I mean, Brazil is if, – if they – if Belgium kind of sets up the same way against Brazil and tries to play that way, they're going to get destroyed, in my opinion. So um, I, I'm rooting for Brazil – I mean, Belgium. Mm. Uh, I, I picked them to, to advance. I think they absolutely have the talent to do that. But uh, they need to be a little bit – I thought I thought the way they set up against Japan was a little naive. Um, I, I have a little bit lack of respect. I don't know. I think, I think, uh, thank you. Thank you. You just perfectly timed, perfectly timed. I think it was a lack of respect. I think Belgium plays down to the competition. I think they did that in the 2014 world cup. And I think they're doing it again here. I, I think that they, you know, a lot of people said, well, they should have beat Panama by more than three nil. Why was it nil nil at halftime? You know, how serious do you have to take Panama? I mean, hell, England beat him 6-1 without even really... I mean, it, Harry Kane had balls that were going in the back of the net that, that he wasn't even trying to score. I mean, <laughs> it just... It, it's, it's, it, and at the end of the day, I'm sorry, folks, it's fucking Panama. Um, I think Belgium will get up for this game. I really do. I think you're going to see a motivated, motivated Belgian side that are going to come with not only their waffles, but also their beer, which is some of the best, uh, some of the best beer in the world. I think you're going to that. yes, amen to that. I think I, I think Belgium's coming to play. I think they'll knock out Brazil. I think that the talent is there, as you said, without a doubt. I think that unfortunately for them, they have to be motivated and they have to be almost um, as Japan did. They have to be pressed and put into a situation where it's kind of do or die. Brazil is a do or die team from minute number one. They can they can carve you up and annihilate you if you're not careful. Japan cannot do that. And as you said, I, I don't think there's going to be any lack of respect in this match from, from uh, uh, over Brazil. I think Belgium knows exactly who the hell is standing across the pitch from them. And I think that's exactly why you're going to get Belgium's best effort of this tournament. And I think, I think they're going to advance uh, by a score of 3-2. to two. Okay. Back-to-back 32 victories for Belgium. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not claiming that at all. It's not going to be easy. And if they're down 2-0... To Brazil, it's done. You can forget it. Uh, but I don't think they will be. I I, I think that that uh, Belgium may in fact keep Brazil at, at arm's length uh, over the course of this match because I do think as a unit they are every bit as talented as the yellow shirts. So you know it's just it's going to come down to I think maybe perhaps individual skill at some point. Uh, perhaps as I said, nothing to do specifically with managerial tactics. More so on-the-pitch tactics by the players. They know themselves when to make the run. They can see uh, where the lanes are, what's open, what's not. They know positioning. They know when you know De Bruyne has our crosses from the wing. Uh, Lukaku knows exactly how to position himself to be in, 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 in the right position for a header. Uh, this is not stuff that Roberto has taught them. This is stuff that those players instinctually know. And I think that that's, that's something that Belgium brings to the table that none of Brazil's opponents to this point have. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a, a dogfight. And I think Belgium will come out on top in the end. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's shit or get off the pot for Belgium now. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking for a long time about this sort of golden generation, if you will, for them. Yes. Um, and and the, the potential that this group of players has. Uh, and up to this point, they've, they've disappointed uh, in consecutive tournaments. And uh, I mean, if they're going to do it, they just need to get it done. 
And what what, what better way to do that than to, to face Brazil, you know, this early on. So, um, I mean, I think if you're Belgium and you're looking at the rest of the draw, if you can get by, if you can get by Brazil, you probably feel pretty good. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't France is on that side as well, but um, you you got to face these teams at some point, right? You do. Might, yeah. as, might as well get them out of the way and, and see what you're made of. So it, it'll be interesting. Um, you know, I sincerely hope Neymar rolls his way out of this tournament and back to Paris or wherever he's at these days. <laughs> well, uh, th- now there's talk of him going to Real Madrid. So, but that's uh, well, yeah. Isn't know. that financial fair play though? It's it's financial something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so moving on to the other two real quick, Sweden England. How how sold are you on Sweden? It, kind of the same way I feel about Russia to some extent. Like I I wasn't, but the the longer they put in the same kind of performances and keep getting it done, you kind of have to take them seriously, don't you? I mean, Sweden is just ridiculously well organized, and they'll they'll sit back and they'll absorb your pressure and they won't. You know, they won't bite. And then when the time comes, they, they tend to be able to pop up and, and make something happen. Now, the goal that they scored in this past match was certainly a little bit fluky. I think it was going right to Jan Zummer and, you know, it would have been an easy save if it had not taken that, that wicked deflection. Um, I forget which Switzerland player tapped that in. But, um, you know, they're here for a reason. They, they were fairly convincing for me in... In the group stage, I know Germany wasn't great. Obviously, we talked about that at length last week. But uh, you know, they played Germany pretty tight in that one, and they've they've played everyone they've faced so far. Uh, you know, pr- pretty tight. And I, I don't think that's going to change in this England match. I like England a lot. Uh, you know, I think they have some great talent, but uh, Sweden is not going to make it easy for them. Uh, I think it's going to be another low-scoring knockout dragout affair. I think it's actually going to kind of play out fairly similarly. Columbia England game did in terms of sort of the scoreline. England right now is riding a wave of positive momentum, and that's something that we don't often say about them as it pertains to the World Cup or the European Championship. It's been a long time since they've won a major title in international football, and without saying that that's exactly what's going to happen, just just an appearance in the semifinals, which would be their first since unbelievably 1990 in Italy. That, that's almost unheard of for this nation who obviously gave birth to the sport itself. Uh, they have a lot of talented players. They have a manager who I think is a great man manager, but more so than that, he, he, kind of, he kind of brings with him sort of a low profile. He wasn't one of these guys like Sven Gorn Eriksson or someone like that that came in as the savior or, or anything like that. He's just, he's, he's, he's Southgate. You know, that's, that's who he is. He's not someone who's like, you know, a lot of people were talking about, for instance, Ancelotti taking the Italy job, you know, oh, he's saved. He's, he's done this at Real Madrid and he's done this at AC Milan and he's done, you know, this is uh, uh, Southgate's uh, a much, much lower profile guy. I think that there's just this England team. I don't think that they ever wanted to be on the radar and they haven't been, and they've quietly, quietly, the attention's not been on them in this tournament. You know, in other years, it's always, you know, when is England going to choke? When are they going to play their, their their worst game and they finally get eliminated? And, and it seems like, to me, there's been le- because there's been more of a low-profile England, because the radar they haven't been on the radar as much, there's also been less negativity, uh, both from the media and from the supporters. So the more quiet and the more calm there is around this team, and I think they have a lot of that right now, 
I think the more successful they'll be. I, I think it, I agree with you 100%. This is going to be a low-scoring affair. I think it's going to be a 1-0. I think England take this one 1-0. I think Harry Kane gets the job done somewhere around um, maybe the 55th or 60th minute. And I think this time they hold on to preserve the win. I, I agree with you exactly on your point. I think it will be very similar to Colombia. I think England uh, steal one here. And um, again, they may not be the better side over the 90 minutes, but they're going to be better when they have to be for about three seconds. And that's all that counts. And that's uh, that's the way I see this uh, 1-0 to England. What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you wonder how long Sweden can keep this thing going without, you know, playing playing some offensive football. Yeah. Uh, Mexico resolved aside, which once again I personally think was there was some interest, some weird things that happened in that that kind of led to that three nil result. But um, they've been great defensively. At some point, they need to actually, you know, knock some goals in and try to make something happen if they're going to keep going in this tournament. And I think at, at some point their luck's going to run out. Uh, I think England's going to win as well, uh, but yeah, it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be an easy contest by any stretch of the imagination. So who do you have going through? England, definitely. England, okay. Uh, Scoreline? Uh, can, can you imagine if we got Sweden and Russia advancing? How insane that would have been. And, and if, if Japan had beaten Belgium, if we have all these teams in this stage of the tournament, this tournament is crazy, man. Um, Scoreline, uh, uh, I guess I'll go one one nil as well. Yeah. Part of me feels like they're gonna Sweden's gonna score some cheap goal and it's gonna have to be like a two one result. But uh, if that happens, I think that second goal is gonna come very late. I think it's gonna be a low scoring game for most of the ninety minutes. And of course, you got Kane scoring it, right? Yeah. Uh, who else? Golden Boot, Kerry Kane. Oh well, why not Raheem Sterling? He said an awesome tournament. <laughs> Just <laughs> kidding. Just kidding. Um. Uh, yeah, he's been a disappointment. My God, like he can only play at City, and that's it. He just, I, I, I watch him. I focus on him consistently, and I'm like, God, this guy just dribbles himself into trouble so many times. He just cannot help himself. He goes into triple coverage and, and double teams, and it's just, I, I don't understand. He, he needs, he needs to get his head up out of his ass and and, and focus on the pitch and, and 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 look at his surroundings and learn how to pass the ball because, and he does it with City. I don't understand. It's like he got on the national team and he learned he forgot how to play. But anyway, Raheem Sterling is a whole different other story another day. Uh, last match, Croatia and Russia. And I no, I do not see share the sentiment of what if Sweden and Russia went through. <laughs> I think Sweden and Russia will both get eliminated. And I think I think Croatia got the scare that they needed. Nine points out of nine points in the group stage. Uh, won a few teams to go perfect and get the uh, the three wins, no draws, no losses. And then Denmark came along and literally put them in a position where they were seconds away from being out of this thing. I think Croatia, you know, every great team needs that one kind of, you know, punch of the jaw to kind of wake you up and, 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 and put you back to reality. And Croatia is not a team that has three or four stars above their crest. Uh, they have never won a World Cup. So they're not one of these giants that just seemingly gets by on their name. they got to earn this thing. And I think that, that you know Denmark made them earn it, and I think that they understand where they're at. And this a lot of this is psychological. And uh, sports psychology plays a big part in it. I think that Croatia somewhat understands that they are going up against uh, a team that also uh, kind of playing the underdog role despite being the hosts and... 
I won't say being the favorites because they were they weren't favorites to even probably beat Egypt in the group stage, but they did. And they they are where they are. They beat uh, the twenty ten, they beat the twenty ten world champion Spain, and I think Russia comes in probably getting more respect from Croatia than they would had they played them, for instance, in a group stage matchup or something like that. I think that this is I think a Croatia side that's going to take Russia seriously. And it's going to play a good game. I don't think this one goes to penalties. I think Croatia's coming to play. I think they mean business in this. I think Perisic, Ante Rebic. Uh, and, and let's be honest. Rebic would have scored into an open net. Yeah. Uh, right, what was it? The one, that was the penalty that Modric uh, got the shot on, right? 116th minute. He flicks it past. Yeah, Rebic has had a great tournament. Rebic has had a fantastic tournament. He flicks it past Schmeichel. And literally has an open net. And honestly, uh, the defenders, Danish defenders' only hope at that point is to foul him and just say, hey, we'll take our shot on a penalty. Turned out to be a brilliant move uh, because the, 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 the game went to penalties instead of, instead of ending right there uh, yeah. in the 116th minute. But I think this time around, the quality will show itself much earlier. And I think Croatia gets this thing done. I, I, I like Croatia in this one, uh, three to one. Wow, you and I are just lockstep. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I feel the same way about Russia this time around as I did about Mexico last time. It's been parties over. Uh, it's time to knock it off and, you know, get out of here and let us enjoy some some uh, some bigger names here a little bit. Uh, Croatia, yeah. I actually, my, my scoreline was going to be 3-1 as well, funny enough. Um, so I am completely in agreement with you. Uh, yeah, hopefully that was the wake-up call they need. Denmark played them tight, and you know that penalty shootout was. There were saves coming in right and left. You had no, you had no idea which way that thing was ultimately going to go. Um, but uh, hopefully we see the form that they showed in the group stage because that was uh, pretty terrifying stuff. The kind of football they were playing. Uh, they were steamrolling people. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Rakitic, Modric, Perisic, Ante Rebic, Mandzukic, Rosalco's had a good tournament. Vita. I mean, every. I mean, there's a lot of talent on this Croatia team and uh I think they get the job done and I'm looking forward to uh watching them do it. Does does Putin put in a call to 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 FIFA to the referees in this one? Is he is he worried? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Never put it past him. Who knows what he's going to what he's going to be up to. God, but, can uh, you imagine but, what the incentive can, would yeah, be? Yeah, can you yeah, can you imagine the longer this tournament goes on if some weird things start happening with VAR or something like that and Russia starts getting some calls or some things, some wonky stuff happens. I mean, that, that's the entire storyline is going to turn into the Putin conspiracy theory. Oh, uh, cannot but, cannot look at VAR, my friend. Uh, VAR is broken. Uh, it's uh, under under uh, investigation uh, right now. We have to to inspect. Pretty it. impressive Russian accent. Uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, I I, uh, I fully expect the conspiracy theories to roll in. Uh, should Russia somehow manage to survive the quarterfinals? Because what is? I think it's been since 1966 or something since they've been to the semifinals when they were obviously at that time they were the USSR. So they had all the Ukraine's talent and all this. You know, they were much even a larger country than they already are. Uh, different times in football, but it 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 would certainly be funny if the team that won it in 1966, England. You would be make it back to the to the quarter uh, to the semifinals 
the same year that, that Russia makes it back to the semifinals, both of them with their best ever finishes in 1966. So, um, Cold War lives on, baby. <laughs> yeah, that'd be crazy. I think uh, I'm looking forward to an five yard wonder strike. It's going to be good. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So, so we, we have our, our, our winners. Uh, you're, I think we, we said France and Belgium, right? Yes. And England and Croatia. Yes, sir. I think that sets ourselves up for two very. This is just interesting. The matchups are just fascinating to me. I, 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 I I'm still reserving the right to to hold off on best tournament ever. It could be when it's all said and done, but it's too early in the quarterfinals to say that. But it is shaping up to be something quite nice. If Belgium, if Belgium and Uruguay advance, we'd have ourselves a real dandy. Yeah, we would. I, I think. I think Russia Croatia is probably the, the least intriguing of these, but the other three matches are. I mean, I'm going to watch all four of them, obviously, but must must watch TV. There, I think every single storyline is is really, really eye catching. It's going to be it's going to be a great couple of days of football. Absolutely. Well, before we go, Jack, real quick, uh, it's being rumored. We set the touch on this because it is a story. It's being rumored about Cristiano Ronaldo right now, and he's being talked about. He bought some property in Turin, I think, this week. Uh, or this week or last week. And so the rumor is he would be making this, the switch from obviously Real Madrid to Juventus Turin in Serie A. Juventus, uh, seven time now consecutive Serie Scudetto winners and four time Coppa Italia. So they've won the double four years in a row. They've been to two Champions League finals over the past four years. So what, does this make does this move make any sense to you? Is it because you know obviously Zidane has left Real Madrid three consecutive Champions Leagues. I guess you know in the one one thing you say, what more is there to prove? It can only go downhill from here. Is Ronaldo say he makes this move? Is this a move that he's getting off the ship too before it completely sinks? And by sink, I mean you finish second to Barcelona again, not you know, it, or well, I guess they didn't finish second last year, but they. Um, they certainly are going to qualify for the Champions League in La Liga every single year. That's that's not the issue. They haven't failed to qualify for Champions League since 1998. So no worries there, Madrid fans. But what, how does this move look on the radar to you? If 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 it is there, there seems to be because his agent spoke today and said, you know, if if he does move on, it would be a great new challenge for him. So no denial. It's not you know normally these guys come right out and say, ah, this is a bunch of crap. He's not moving. I don't know where you got this from. Uh, that's not the case this time. There's there's no denial. It's 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 kind of like, well, it's up to CR7. If he wants to go, you know, then then we'll make a deal happen. Does the move to Juventus make sense at this point? This is a tough one because I think it, if Cristiano Ronaldo says, hey, I want to play for your club, you kind of have to say yes, don't you? I mean, it's really difficult to turn him away. So from from that, I don't know if this is like an active recruitment job from Juventus or this is like a club that Ronaldo has been interested in and he's the one that started this this conversation. I'm not sure, but uh, I, I don't know how to feel about this, honestly. I mean, first of all, color me skeptical because this is not the first time we've had rumors of Ronaldo leaving Real Madrid for, for other pastures. And it's usually just so he can renegotiate his contract. 
um, and, you know, scare them a little bit. And then they, you know, they, they shower him with praise and say, oh, you're our guy and here's some more money and, you know, you can stay. Everything's fine. But I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, he has what else can he accomplish at Real Madrid? The consecutive Champions Leagues that he's won, um, you know, the Ballon d'Ors. At some point, you know, he's, he's kind of reaching the end of his career, probably. Um, I have a uh, let me interrupt you because I want to ask this question. This is you just asked what can he what, what 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 more can he achieve at Real Madrid? Let me ask you this: if he so he had success at Manchester United, he had a massive amount of success at Real Madrid. If he's able to go to Juventus and win a Champions League, is that how he, in his own mind, separates himself from being better than Messi? Is that I did it at three clubs? I went to three. maybe right. That's that's maybe, the only yeah, thing that makes I mean, sense. Messi's to me. just been in this one system his entire. Entire career, yeah. I mean, Ronaldo says I can, you know, I can pick up the show, take it on the road, and and you know, put in the same performances anywhere. I don't know how much sense the move makes from a Juventus standpoint. I think it maybe it makes more sense from for Ronaldo. I mean, where do you envision him playing? Is he just going to kind of play up top in sort of a central sort of attacking position? I, I can't imagine he's going to be out on the wings all that much, particularly as he continues to you know get up there a little bit and maybe isn't capable of playing the same minutes throughout the season that he normally was. Well, I mean, how, do you, how do you see that working out? With them right now, obviously they have Higuain. We, know, we know how you feel about Higuain. Yeah, so. we don't need to go there. Um, Higuain, obviously they have Mario Mandzukic. Uh, they, ha- they have Dybala in attack. Uh, and I see CR7 occupying perhaps the, the number seven role. I see him on the wing. I don't really see him as a number nine right now because I think they're well equipped at the number nine. As far as not better players than him, but in their system, Mandzukic and Higuain make sense. Uh, Ronaldo gives them a ton of flexibility coming in off the wing, uh, and obviously he can kind of free roam. I mean, Ronaldo is is obviously gets free reign to do whatever pretty much the hell he wants to do. Uh, he knows when to make his runs. He knows when to lay the ball off. He knows when to take the shot. I, I think you play him... Uh, in, in a very similar role to the, what he's playing right now at Madrid. Uh, and and that's something that you can obviously do at Juventus with the rest of the scoring talent they have there. And, you know, you're, you're going to be successful. I don't think there's any team in Serie A that can match that kind of scoring potential. You, like I said, you added Dybala into that. I mean, my God, it, it's, it, that, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty damn good front line right there. So I don't really... I'm on the I'm on the Juventus Wikipedia page right now, and mm-hmm. uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is listed in the squad. <laughs> Are you serious? So somebody, yeah, somebody edited that already, which is pretty. That's funny. that's fantastic. Um, that is very funny. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, once again, if Ronaldo wants to come play for you, I don't I don't think you're going to say no. I think you're going to find a way to to incorporate him in. Can you can you imagine if Ronaldo goes to Juventus and wins the Champions League? Poor Gigi Buffon. Poor dear oh, sweet. Oh yeah. Buffon. Can man. you imagine that? Yeah. After going out at, at Ronaldo's hands, and then he comes to your club right after you retire. I mean, if Ronaldo comes to Juve, you think Buffon comes out of retirement and plays one more season? He's got to. He's got to. Like, go, go, let give this man, give this man that damn big ear trophy. He so absolutely deserves. I mean, there's been no no player that I could think of that 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 is just that deserves a Champions League trophy to lift that thing. More than Gigi Buffon. I mean, he's won everything there is. To- he's got the World Cup. See, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. He's 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 lifted the World Cup trophy. He, him and Messi need to do the reversal. Uh, Messi's got plenty of those other ones, and uh, he's lacking the World Cup. And 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 Buffon, 
I don't know if he would give up that World Cup trophy for a Champions League trophy. I, I highly doubt that. But um, I know that man's cried some tears over the losses over the last four years uh, in the Champions League finals. And I, I don't know though, Jack. That's that that's obviously would look like a move of desperation. But I'm not sure Buffon gives a shit at this point. <laughs> he just wants the, he just wants the Champions League. So maybe, yeah. I mean, honest honest to God, what what better keeper? Are, is Juventus going to get for next season other than Buffon? I mean, Buffon is uh, proven up until just a few months ago he can still play at a high level. So I, I you know, why why not? I mean, hell, go for it. Yeah, that would be that would be great to see. I would I would love to see that happen. I don't know. It'll be interesting, something to follow. Um, you know, now that Ronaldo's out of the the World Cup, he's trying to distract attention from it and make it about him. So, um, which is classic. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> Um, that's, that's the only thing though that I can think of is one upsmanship on Messi. And that's the only thing I can think of is to say, you know, I, I did this at Manchester United. I did this at Real Madrid and I did this at Juventus. I did it in the, in, in, in the currently the top three leagues in the world are La Liga, Serie A and the Premier League. So, as you said, Messi's been in the one system. He's been comfortable. He's had that cushy bed to lay in every night, and he's never had to move. It's always been about Barcelona, whereas Ronaldo has obviously started off in the Premier League, moved to La Liga, and now perhaps Serie A. If you do it at three different destinations, and you do it at an elite level, and you're able to win the greatest prize there is to win in club football every single time, uh, that's something to hang your hat on, man. It is, and if if that's the motivation, I think it makes sense from his standpoint. I mean, as we already said, what what else is there for him to do at Real Madrid, really? You know, this act, right? Go go somewhere else and try to make it happen one more time. Uh, there's certainly some continuity from a color scheme standpoint in terms of the kits, so it won't be that big of a change. <laughs> uh, but we'll have to wait and see. I'm sure we'll be hearing plenty about it, probably more than we'd like to uh, over the coming weeks. As black and white stripes look like a bunch of zebras. Man, yeah. Uh, well, Jack, man, this has been a blast as always. A ton of fun always having you on the show. I, I, like I said, I almost, almost got you and Richard on the same show. That would have been absolutely fantastic. But two to one outnumbering of Schalke to Dortmund on my own. Show. <laughs> That's on, what we like to see on my own show, man. That would have been uh, quite, quite the, uh, the, the underdog role for me. But uh, anyways, man, real quick, tell people where they can find you on Twitter, and uh, please do tell them about the FC Schalke podcast, real quick. Yeah, uh, J.M. Mangan, J-M-M-A-N-G-A-N on Twitter. Uh, feel free to reach out to me there, interact with me. Uh, once again, as I said last week, not an essential follow by any stretch of the imagination, but I am on there a little bit. Uh, and then, yeah, as well, the, uh, the FC Shock and the Fear podcast that I do with uh, Richard Carmen, uh, the, the creator and, uh, and the host of that show, uh, talking all things Shock football. As we gear up, I'm sure we'll get back at some point in the next few weeks here. We've been on a little bit of a summer hiatus, but uh, we do that pretty much every week throughout the season. So I'm looking forward to uh, a return to that podcast. But in the meantime, greatly appreciate you uh, letting me shake off the rust and, and join you here. It's always a blast. And uh, let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. We're going to have you. I'm uh, trying to have both of you on for a Schalke season preview, obviously talking about Mascarell, talking about uh, Sané, talking about the new purchases that Schalke has made this summer. I think you guys have done some excellent business, so I definitely want to get you guys on and talk everything Royal Blues uh, when that time comes. But for me, it's been uh, my pleasure uh, having Jack on tonight. It's been my pleasure to be your host again. It's at Curtis Smith. That's S-C-R-I-T-T-Y-S-M-I-T-H. 
And follow us on the at Kings of Europe Twitter. That's at K-I-N-G-S-O-F-E-U-R. It's been a pleasure as always. And we will see you here next time, same place, same time next week. Take care, everyone.